in YouTube, we have been discussing over the course of the day, and this is for some of the summer. I really like to see this entire it's talking about principles that human decisions don't make sense, but they make perfect sense to the God's economy. So tonight is actually the last question I'm going to teach you then. But Michael Morris is actually going to teach the students. If you got hung up at work and called me, so now you're going to get the lesson that I'm going to teach you the students. Okay, so I hope you guys get this tonight. So I'm excited tonight. It's a very simple principle, but it's the fact that God uses nobody. God uses nobody. When I coach, when I coach soccer, when I coach football in the sport, um, pre-game, I typically don't help my team more. I I do assistant coaches there. So I have one of my assistant coaches that's one of my goalkeepers. I have another one of my assistant coaches that they get the small side of the game going. Right, my my non-starters know what their responsibilities are. They got passing games and things that they do. Everybody's going about their business. So then the question is, what do I do during pregame warm-up? Well, what I like to do is I like to stand in the field and I like to watch the other team warm-up. Because watching, you can learn a lot about a team watching the warm-up. Are they organized? Are they disciplined? Who are they good players? Right? Who do you watch out for? All that stuff. It's like a little mini scouting report. And so when I see a team with some players that are good, I log out of what mentally, and I think, okay, how am I going to need to change my shape? How am I going to need to change my tactics? to be able to match up with the good players on the other team. Because what I want is, I want my best players lined up across from the best players on the other team. I don't want them to be able to find the weaknesses in my squad and exploit them, and I want to try to be able to match up with them as best as I can. So I, I want to find my, my best players, my players that have strength, my players that, that know what they're doing and understand the game, and I want to put them in the best possible position to succeed. Um, I, I don't I don't take my weakest players and put them in center midfield. That's like the position that has to control everything on the field. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna put a kid that has a bow bar and keep it in that spot. But you know what? When God builds his roster, God builds his roster a lot different than we build ours. And look at how God builds his team. Look at how God constructs his team. It's something in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 of the verse 26. He says this, For you see your calling brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh. So not, not the smartest. Not many mighty. Not the strongest. Not many noble. Not the elitist. Our fault. Now this is a pretty, pretty interesting resume to be a member of God's team. God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things of the world. He's chosen the, the base things of the world and things which are despised that God chosen. Yea, and things which are not to bring to God things at all. Why? So that no flesh would be buried in his presence. For the him are you in Christ Jesus who have died and made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption that according as it is written to the glorious, let him glory in the Father, thank you so much for the opportunity that we've had to come and study the text of Scripture tonight. Father, I pray that you would help you with sin, that you would help you with self, and that you would fill me with your Holy Spirit tonight. Thank you.
the resurrection of the Told me to write through the Bible where you see. I said you were covering in with your grace and with your mercy. I said you were helping to come with open hearts and open minds, ready to receive the truth and the gospel. And Father, we know that the text of Scripture is not just for a few, it is for many. And so I pray you would help us to allow God to be truthful and walk out with an understanding of how we can apply them to our own personal lives to help us grow in the matter of what we can say to We want to give the honor and glory for it because we're the one that deserves it. We have thought of things in your name. Amen. Um, when you think of, but when I think about this, when I was working on this, working on this question, I was trying to think of some of the no-buttons that God used in Scripture. And there's actually a pretty extensive list. And you can think about the disciples. Right? The disciples. It's just common scripture that you forget. Right? They, they were un, they were uneducated. There was nothing inherently special about them. And yet God used them in the book of Acts to change the understanding of the world upside down. You know, that's really interesting. I was, I was, uh, I was telling a few of this this morning. Um, but when you actually go and, and you look at the original Greek Testament, when you look at Paul's writings, they are unprecedented. Like logical arguments, everything is really well organized and laid out. And you can tell that it's true. You go and read Peter, it's a mess. The guy didn't know what he was going for. I mean, you talk about somebody who didn't understand basic grammar. Peter was a mess. It hardly translates into a first or second Peter. Why? Because God used this uneducated man, and unfortunately, God used him and his personality and his education, and God was doing it in an incredible way. But understand, who was there anything special about him? It was the power of God that was working for him. So we think about the disciples. We, we think about an individual like Gideon. Do you remember? Do you remember God's first interaction with Gideon? But hold your thought here before that, because what he does, does is chapter six. Chapter 6. And let's pick it up real quickly. Uh, let's see, beginning of verse 6. Let's see, beginning of verse 6. Uh, no, I'm sorry, let's get down to verse 11. There came an angel of the Lord, sat under an oak, which is in Oprah, that became in Joash, the Abbey, and his son Gideon fell asleep by the wine press to hide from the Midian. So Gideon was hiding. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him, and said unto him, The Lord is with you, thou mighty man of God. That's probably the most ironic statement in all of Scripture. And Gideon said unto him, Okay, so Gideon is fixing on the mighty man of God. And he says, If the Lord be with us, why is all this befalling us? So, listen, if God is really working for us, where's the evidence? Where's the proof? This is a man that was lacking in faith. He says, Where are the miracles? The Lord is forsaken us. Verse 14, the Lord looked upon him and said, Go and live thy life. And thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Come now, I beg thee, what if you make him? And verse 13, and Gideon said, Oh, my Lord, wherewith shall I save Israel? The whole of my family is born in Manasseh. But listen, Manasseh's like on the Bible where the tongue is born, tribes of Israel, but they're in my family born. And then I, I'm the least in my father's house. And he says, God, with me, you're straight from the bottom of the barrel. The Lord said unto him, Surely I will be with you. And now shall smite the Midianites with one hand. Remember Moses' self-assessment in the Civil War? Put that in the book of Exodus. Let's look at it together. Exodus chapter 4. I want to do a lot more training today because I'm talking to you guys. And so, 
heaven and earth. Jesus has all authority. And now he takes that authority and he gives it to the church. He gives it to each of you. For what purpose? To go and to make disciples. What's the first step in the disciple of Jesus? Being somebody from the saving body of Jesus Christ. You and I have a responsibility to go and to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. He said, can you prove it from the text? I think so. Go to verse 2, chapter 2, and look at verse 2. Paul says, I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Now listen, Paul couldn't talk philosophy. Yeah, Paul couldn't talk about the culture of the people of But when you look at Acts 17, and Paul is standing in front of the intellectual on Mars Hill, what did he do? He preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul was laser focused when it came to his ministry. He didn't make it about him. He didn't make it about his intellect. He didn't make it about his expertise. He made it about the cross. And he was faithful to preach the gospel. Look back, go back to the book of Corinthians chapter 1 and look at what Paul says in verse 3. Just next thing, our world. I don't know what's going on here. I don't know what's going on I look at all the happening in the White House last week and the Boston and the Richmond and the I look at the people and I look at the Richmond and I look at the Sydney and I look at the Richmond and I look at the Richmond and 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 the and we recognize the power of the and the community of darkness of this world against spiritual wickedness in high places. And now, again, people are evil because the wickedness and the tragedy of our own heart. People are not the enemy. Sin and the evil world system in which we live, that is our enemy. And what we need to do is we need to be faithful and we need to be focused on preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Listen, people are born in sin. If we preach the gospel, they accept Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. If they're regenerated by the Holy Spirit of God and the changes from the inside out, listen, we can make all the societal changes that we wanted, but our culture isn't going to change until people experience a spiritual transformation through the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay? How are they going to do this? Look at what Paul says in 6 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 16. 6 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 16. It's the end of foolishness. Our culture says, listen, we need more legislation. Hey, we need more morality, right? We need more of all these things. But they look at what we do on Sundays and Wednesdays, and we open God's word and they have to think we preach in Muslims about the Holy Spirit. They look at them and say, that's the Spirit. How is that ever going to be the Spirit? Look at what Paul says next. So under our sincerity, this is the one. The power I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and I will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where's the wise? Where's the tribe? Where's the spirit of this world? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom is not God, it's pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require a sign, the Greeks need after wisdom, but we preach Christ. 
the time they had killed and put them to death. And it was great then. What did you do to do? How did the glorified God tell us what they did? And listen, we can't, we can't have the opportunity to decide what we're saying. Where we're most sitting in the discipleship group? Well, if you guys sit in the discipleship group on a Sunday night, if you're discipling somebody one on one individual, normally, if you're going to be the best, nobody that has to be, you need to be willing to challenge people about their personal growth in their relationship with Jesus Christ. Listen, if somebody comes to me and I say, hey, I just want to say, what can I do? Say somebody comes to me and says, hey, I'm going to study the situation of the night. Thank you. 
standing up that way. Maybe a couple minutes later. It's good to go back. It's good to go back. It's good to go back. You know, 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 it's good to go back. Is the gospel still the power of God? Yes. Does, does the Holy Spirit still capture and impart the power of God to God's people? Yes. So why are there so many places in the Bible that are not in the Bible? I think it's because God's people don't have a desire to experience it. And the only place in the world you get to the most of Something 
Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. We have all these things, not because we're awesome, but because Jesus Christ gifted them to us. So what's the outworking of it? That according to the written, he that glorious, let him glory in himself. That's not what it says. He's glorious. Let him glory in the Lord. Why? Because he's the one that gets the credit. He's the one that deserves it. He's the one that enables it. He's the one that struggles with it. He's nobody. And when God chooses to use us, and spiritual things happen because we're empty vessels that God can work through, people look at that and we should say, to God be the glory, great things to be had. I love what Paul says. Hold your Bible. Who told you that? That's not that. Hold your Bible. Who told you that? What is the chapter number two? I love Paul. I give it to him. So, it's taking other people to Galatians. It's not like it's taking other people to Galatians. Paul's dealing with some serious issues. So Paul has written a pretty, pretty scathing letter. He felt pretty strongly with these churches that he was. But he gets to the end of the book. And he wants you to know that he cares about it. So Paul is actually writing this letter. He's dictating it over and he's trying to write it down. And now look at what he says in verse 11. He says, You see how large a letter I have written unto you with my own hands. So what happens here? Paul literally takes the quill out of the scribe's hand and he says, You know what? We're going to wrap this up and I got it. Right? So he takes the pen. Just like, you know, if you have a seven-day or one write it out, you know. And you say, you know what? Hold on. Move aside. I got this. Right? You take the pen and you write it out the rest of the letter on your own. That's what Paul's doing here. Because he feels so passionately about this conclusion. Right? Now, what does he say? Look at verse 14. God forbid that Paul did conclude the letter. God forbid that I should glory. Say that what? The cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. When we understand what Jesus Christ did for us, when we understand that we are nobody but God's glory to Jesus to you, when we understand that we are dead to our sin that we're alive to Jesus Christ, when we recognize this,
Thank you. 